Hello, my name is Neil Pretorius. I'm the CEO of DRD Golf, uh, a golf producer uh, in South Africa, listed on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange and also on the New York Stock Exchange. Neil, thank you very much for the introduction. Good to see you again. Um, <clears throat> my goodness, what a busy time in the in 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 the world. Uh, metal prices are all over the show. The gold price has. Uh, was hit a low in November, I think about 1650, and then it was up at around 2000 again in uh, in late January or early February. Then it's dropped like a stone and it's back up again. I mean, it's all, uh, it's, it's a pretty exciting time if you're a follower of the gold market. Absolutely. And I think um, finally, more than one region is, is really involved in this, uh, we're all involved in this and, and uh, influencing gold price trends. Uh, in, in the past, I think what we saw that whenever gold sentiment was was uh, the, the conditions for gold was poor, poor and, and gold sentiment was poor, there, were, there was nothing catching the gold price and, and it would go down a lot. And, and now suddenly there's a, there's a second region with an appetite for gold. So as quickly as the United States and, and the West are dumping gold, uh, they seem to be absorbing gold and they seem to have some sort of a value threshold where they would be happy to, to get in. And buy whatever was being offered. So we saw massive uh, gold flows towards the east, away, away from the west, and, and even from uh, from countries like Switzerland during exactly that time that we were referring to term in November of last year. And now, of course, that uh, that sentiment's changed a little bit again, uh, with with a dynamic that nobody saw coming with the with the collapse uh, of or the risk of collapse of uh, of banks. Um, yeah, suddenly again, there's pressure to provide liquidity and to and to provide uh, comfort to the United States economy for um, for for the integrity of that banking system. So, so, so suddenly renewed um, doubts in the integrity of fiat currency and and another surge in gold. So. You, you want to hold some golf with Bartos. Last year was very much the 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 story of the kind of the the east the the east the central banks buying gold, kind of Russia and China and um, non-Western central banks were all kind of in there. In fact, central banks in general. And and yeah, this this financial instability, this fiat currency. I've been um, talking about it a while to anybody who'll listen. Um, my family is extremely bored of me talking about the risks of fiat currency. Um, I, <laughs> I bet you've got a uh, a fiat currency uh, chat in you somewhere there. Oh, absolutely, um, and uh, and more and more people saying that um, you know, the only currency is real currency is gold, and everything else is credit. And then you've got to assess the quality of that credit. And then one does get the sense also that uh, there there's certain jurisdictions that are positioning themselves for a challenge to the dollar as a reserve currency in terms of energy, in terms of oil, and in terms of gold. Um, uh, and maybe sort of, you know, more broadly as well, and maybe what's one of the reasons why we're seeing them buying as, as buying up all the gold, buying as much gold as being offered for sale. Uh, we, we know that China's already buying oil in their own currency from countries like Venezuela, so, um, and Venezuela's one of the largest producers of oil, so increasingly, I think they're going to start forcing their suppliers into... Uh, into buying in, in Chinese currency and move away from the dollars of reserve currency. Saudi seems to be taking a, a, an interesting stance as we the, the United States, so one doesn't know where that's going to go. But I mean, it's, it's, what they're doing almost is through what they're insisting on in terms of trade is that the oil is pegged to Chinese currency. Now, what if they start doing that also in terms of 
of gold and they say, well, we declare that you know, one ounce of gold is worth so much in Brandumbi. And what's that going to do to the dollar? So, uh, yeah, I think these, these are interesting times and interesting dynamics. And gold does seem to play an integral role in, in how all of this is being played out, how these strategies are being pursued, if, if they are, in fact, deliberate strategies that are being pursued. But one begins to sense that, that they are. Well, let's park the macro uh, for now, and I will want to come on to South Africa because that's another layer of um, macro. But just on DRD itself, um, I love the fact that you're the stock exchange's oldest continually listed uh, company doing the same business. Um, in 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 although there has been a change in the business, so you're not no longer um, uh, deep underground mining, but you're kind of processing and rehabilitating the above ground stockpiles. But um, could you just kind of give me a snapshot of you know, how the recent months been, kind of what the trend is on the operational level and on the the um, the operational level of the company and the finances of the company? Yes, now, I think you would have seen that uh, that our volumes are down uh, ever so slightly compared to where they were the previous competitive period. So although the gold price has been really good and that's that's been good to revenue uh, for the period. The most recent period that we reported, you would have seen that there was an increase in revenue, but was actually all slightly lower production and also lower tons. So, so we are at this stage having to deal with um, the impact of, of weather on, on tonnage delivery. Uh, we are having to deal with the transition from sites that are getting depleted onto new sites. They one or two regulatory issues that we've got to deal with with licenses that had been years in the sort of in the process and then that were supposed to have been issued or to use this licenses and, and, and these are have been delayed and uh, regrettably and you know what one can start into, uh, with listing all of the different reasons why why they haven't been issued but it is it is it's a frustration um it make maybe three years not a long enough not enough time to consider these licenses, but it's that covenant of transitioning from older sites onto newer sites and having them almost overlap so that the, the lower tonnage of depleting sites could be made up from, from newer sites. So, so that's something that we've got to deal with. There have been a few issues also in terms of electricity supply. The mining industry does not uh, get interrupted in terms of their electricity supply, though they have to curtail uh, consumption, but there, there are a few reclamation sites we had. We've actually transitioned across since December on those sites, also into the national grid, but there were a few local council supply points or municipal supply points um, that serviced uh, one or two uh, reclamation sites where we in fact had load shedding. So, so these were three or four dynamics impacting simultaneously on tonnage delivery. It's not the start of a new trade. These are these are events uh, over a period of time that will ultimately uh, uh, be resolved. Uh, so, so we hope to be back to sort of normal throughput by early that in the new financial year, sort of June, July, assuming that uh, that we will finally get the the regulator to to apply its signature to the two licenses that we do require. 
for, for those particular sites that are fully equipped. They're standing there. The pumps are there, the pipelines are there, everything's done. It's a matter of, you know, throwing a switch and, and then production will begin. Can I just, just, just to clarify, the, so the, the, these events, these challenges you're talking about and the period when the volumes have, have, are down correspond to, um, is, am I right in thinking it's a six-month period from kind of the middle of uh, calendar 2022 to the end of the calendar 2023? Uh, Calendar 2022. Yes, no, it, it will it will overlap uh, into into this 2023. Yes, that that is no, no, it's a financial 2023. So up to June of this year. So we should see volume throughput okay. resume back to normal levels. Uh, well, hopefully by not later than than June of this year, June July of this year. And as I say, that's not for for lack of infrastructure or, or lack of having available resource. It's 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 quite literally just. Uh, um, and then in fairness to, to the, reg- the regulator, this particular regulator, uh, we designed emergency spillage dams at two of our new reclamation sites in a particular way. And on their final inspection, when they decided, when they were basically having their sort of final checklist before issuing the license, which was in October of last year, they said, but we actually want these to be designed slightly differently. And then we and then we we did the the the, the change in design and, and these aren't significant infrastructure. It's about the size of a tennis court, or maybe just a little bit bigger than a tennis court. It's an emergency right. spillage dam that's designed to trap spillage in the event that there's a power interruption at the reclamation site itself. So so these had to be lined, uh, and that amended design uh, had been submitted to the regulator in 2022, uh, late last year. And we're really just waiting for them to, to consider the amended design and then this thing can go forward. And they have until the 14th of April to consider that. Now, unfortunately, being uh, a state department, they will use every day within the sort of the, the statutory deadline. They would say, well, you know, this is maybe one we could do a little bit sooner and we'll surprise them and issue it in January. It never waits yeah, until yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we hope to be up and running to see, hopefully in May, but not later than June. This, this is anything like... Uh, more or less, uh, it's a few hundred thousand tons a month. So um, the, the, the impact is there, there to be seen. It hasn't it hasn't had the effect that uh, that we didn't see positive cash flow. So there's still positive cash flow. We can still take advantage of of the the high gold price. But it's annoying because you know that there's about thirty or forty kilos of gold that should have landed in the on the table out of uh, the targeted four hundred and fifty kilos, four hundred and eighty kilos, and it's not there. So it's it's, it's really annoying. To, to know that it's there for the taking and it's not finding its way into the plot. It may be annoying, but if you look at your share price, I mean, your, your, your shares were below $5 on the ADR in uh, on the NASDAQ. They were below the $5 in September, October last year, and they're now above $10. And so, um, you know, the market's not punishing you for this or... or Rather, the market is rewarding the leverage to the gold price. Absolutely, and I think the market also see, sees it for what it is, that it's not the start of the trade, that it's essentially an event, and, and it just needs to be dealt with. And, you know, and I think the, the, the investors who invest in South African stock, they used to hearing stories about load shedding and about all sorts of other challenges. So um, uh, the, this isn't a horror story for them. They, they know that this sort of thing happens from time to time. I'm more annoyed with... With myself and I've not having anticipated it sooner and having dealt with it better. Because typically when we have a depleting site and a new site, we do have that permanent. And and this time we just allowed it to, to allowed it to get away from us a little.
So there's a two, three, two or three month period where we, where otherwise there would have been a more seamless overlap between two studs. Okay, but by but you hope by the second half of this year you'll be back up and and, and running um, smoothly. What I took away from the, the the last interview that I did with you was the kind of the culture of continual perf- performance within DRD. The fact that um, you have to keep those pipelines, the, the slurry pipelines running because otherwise they solidify. Um, the fact that you, you're talking about continual processes and your, your management culture is about kind of continual um, improvement, continu- you know, that, 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 that word con- continual I keep repeating, but um, it's, it's kind of a management culture that w- was, was so integral to the way that you work. It's, and has, you know, does that just... Uh, I mean, I know it doesn't just happen, but you, you, you've got some disruptions on the operational side. Plus, you've got d- disruptions in the on the kind of your country level. Um, you know, how how does how does that integrate? So, look, I think the, this particular mindset amongst uh, amongst our operational uh, management stock that that that's many years in the making. Um, the, 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 nobody's scared um, or very seen of of the uh, the members of, of senior management and and sort of finding its way into the part of not being involved in this business for less than for less than ten years. Some of them have been here for twenty years, thirty years. So they, they have a skill set uh, which I think breeds a, a, a sort of a natural intuition of, of what it is that they see in terms of the general health and status of a circuit, um, which which I think is really valuable. There is a very specific way that we deal with information as well. So monitoring takes place by way of of continuous monitoring. We uh, we do not do spot checks. You have uh, the 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 kind of instrumentation uh, in terms of of uh, of tracking performance uh, in terms of a number of key dynamics. And that's really extensive. And at least give you um, data not on a on on an interval basis, uh, but on a continuous basis. So you see a graph in terms of volume throughput, in terms of densities, in terms of pH, uh, in terms of uh, the, the, the pressure and the and the temperature in the uh, in the illusion circuit, and so forth and so forth. And and the the plant is continuously managed. The entire system is continuously managed towards those dynamics to stay within range. It is a business that you've got to manage. Proactively, so there's a key awareness of that sort of thing. Uh, I think we also took a decision many, many years ago that we will manage the business towards the the risks that can impact its uh, long term sustainability. So longevity um, isn't something that we pursue. Um, we invest the right sort of capital to deal with some of the risks that we know will will manifest over time. These are risks associated with water. We really still don't talk about water, but South Africa is a dry country. We have access to the largest underground lake in the Fatek province, which is the one that was created by the mining industry. You just have to look at an approximate 800 million to a billion tons of wine mine waste sitting on top of the surface, then you know how large that cavity is. And that cavity is filled up with water. We have access into that. And that's our main supply of processed water. So it's gray water mostly. This is this is something with a decision that was taken many, many years ago. The same applies to extensive automation and mechanization that I just referred to, that we run 24-7. The fact that we've had backup systems in place now for many, many years, close to 50 megawatts of backup system in terms of diesel generators, that's just to keep the process in motion, not to serve as, as fully-fledged 
backup in, in the event of a, of a, a blackout. But we're supplementing that now with a 20 megawatt solar power station and battery capacity, storage capacity, and that'll be increased to 60 megawatts over the next three years. So, so those are further measures that we took. If you look at security at our operations, it looks completely different compared to what it looked like 20 years ago. There's a different kind of risk, and therefore you had to design your security completely different. Uh, a lot of reliance on surveillance, on early detection of movement, on proportionate response uh, to risk, on not taking disproportionate risk in terms of the staff that you deployed to look after, uh, after uh, infrastructure, uh, rather have them monitoring monitors as opposed to standing there on site with a torch and a, and a radio that used to be the practice many, many years yeah. ago. So that's how you maintain proportionality. So it's recognizing our environment and managing uh, your, 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 your investment towards those risks. The, the only way to avoid the risk is not by avoiding risk. Sometimes you have to manage risk, and you do that by investing into very particular systems. And, and those are all for COVID for us, for example. I think was a was a very good illustration of just how uh, deeply rooted rooted resilience had become in the DNA of this business. When for almost a month, uh, senior management was managing by remote control, and then the business did really well. Now, now some some people are saying maybe that's crowds for uh, for reorganizing the business, but it's it's actually not. Um, it is just that the indicative of how the design and the system over time had developed to a point where. When, when the biggest crisis that had hit uh, the global economy in decades hit, this business, and then not by design, obviously, but simply because of the way that, not by design for this particular incident, but simply just because of the way that it had been set up towards disruptive risk, was in fact capable of continuing. You want to have an automated business when there's, an, uh, when there's a, 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 a pandemic raging now, and, and, and that helped us. And that, that's why I think it's so annoying that we that we that we missed the this overlap thing. You know, we don't want to do to have overlap between a depleting site and a new site, and um, and and it's not a, it's a frustrating time because it's a bit of an embarrassing time for us the fact that we haven't intercepted this and that we now have to explain to uh, to the market why uh, on a monthly basis we're producing. Uh, 30 or 40 kilos less gold than what we're supposed to be producing at this point in time. Well, I think you've been bailed out. Um, you've been bailed out by the by the gold price. So that's that that that's certainly helping in the short term. But it does help um, to an extent. Really... But I mean, it does. Sorry to, to back you, but it does help to an extent. But you know what we say to the market is we set up the business in such a way that we is that we can see the uh, that we can maintain or maintain a holding pattern during tough times but that we can take full advantage of higher gold pricing. We're not taking full advantage. That's the annoying part. Again, perhaps it's not my role. Um, I should be here asking the, the, the difficult questions, but if, you, if you've if you got room to optimize by another 30 or 40 kilograms um, in the months ahead, surely that's a, um, a selling point uh, today. You're talking about managing risks and that kind of brings the, my thought process onto South Africa as a whole, because y y you, it's your operating environment and um, presumably you're taking steps to ensure your ongoing resilience for any wider countrywide challenges but um, your commentary on what's happening in South Africa at the moment and with particular reference to your operations would be uh, appreciated. Yes, certainly. So I reflected briefly on the situation with water. Now, water is not something that you can allow the feet of, uh, of, of, of the state or government. Uh, 
because potable water shouldn't be used for processed water. So I think what we've done in terms of water supply, making sure that every day there is that 30 million litre top up that we could draw from a cray resource, that's something that we did months ago. But what became apparent was that a number of other uh, aspects, for example, the security, electricity supply, et cetera, et cetera, um, uh, quality of training for that matter, that uh, this was just too much for a government that was increasingly dysfunctional and that it, that it lost uh, touch with, with its turn reality of where it needs to invest and, and things that it needs to put in, into uh, the effect. Uh, on the electricity, I think the best illustration in that regard is just a spirally um, electricity uh, utility, namely ESCO. And, and I think it's, well, I think if you anticipate this, uh, or if you, even if you don't anticipate it, if you come to terms with the fact that that is your reality, it, it is possible to, to engineer solutions for those risks. Because, yeah, as much as South Africa is, is eating the headlines in terms of uh, dysfunctional uh, politics uh, and, and, and uh, uh, a, a poor investment environment from a political perspective. The private sector and the people of South Africa, uh, I think, uh, are completely different. Um, we have a robust, innovative, uh, dynamic, and influential private sector. So there's a lot of capital going around in South Africa. We have people that love South Africa and because of what it offers and who are determined to preserve that which we deem precious, and we want to extend and roll it out to to every South African. Uh, there's not an enclave mentality. There's an inclusive mentality from uh, from the the most prominent of corporates all the way down to 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 the most distant of of communities. So so, so that's the South African dream. But it's unfortunately not one that's shared by most politicians. Politicians get voted in because they create some sort of a phantom risk. Uh, and they offer themselves as an oppressor, as a solution to that risk. Um, so, so I think South Africa is sort of developing into, let's call it a, a state where the politicians, they make their noise and they do their things and they pretty much trip over their own feet, uh, trying to preserve their power base, whilst the rich South Africa is moving forward and finding solutions. Uh, and I encourage you to go and read about a little uh, town, a small town in the free state, that has become almost a beacon of what this alternative model looks like. It's a little town of Frankfurt, where the community is gone, and this is an inclusive community. It's not along racial lines. It's not along uh, uh, access to capitalize. It's an inclusive uh, initiative where they've gone and they've created uh, a, I think it's a three and a half megawatt solar power station, which feeds into the entire community. They have 12,000 customers, and they've only had 65 customers cut off because of non-payment. So this culture of non-payment that, that's being told about, it's not a culture of non-payment for services. It's a, it's a resistance movement because the services are non-existent and that's why people don't want to pay. They're not going to pay for something that doesn't get delivered or that doesn't get provided. So pro calling is that, and now get a typical of, of a government that is desperate to hold on to the remaining bit of influence that it has over the economy. They're wanting to interfere with Frankfurt in the supply of electricity to its 12,000 customers by enforcing their load shedding schedule and disrupting the supply of electricity from, from this other form. So this, that, that's the tension that's happening in South Africa. It's a battle that you read much about, but I'm afraid the, the, the innovation, just the, the dynamic, intelligent nature in how the private sector is pursuing all of these solutions, uh, government's no match for it. Um, the, the, the state's no match for it, but this, that, it's a losing battle and they might as well just accept defeat and, and surrender all of these strategic things 
to the to the private sector. We're talking about uh, health. We're talking about uh, infrastructure, uh, security. Well, security is actually a bit of a contentious one. You don't want private comics. It's unfortunate that you have to hire people with specialist skills to look after your staff and look after your infrastructure. That really should be the role of government. Government should have the monopoly on by the staff, uh, or else, you know, the other side of the of the coin is equally uh, true that, that you could have uh, crime cartels who could also become too influential or too powerful. But in terms of all of these other things, I think the private sector has the capacity and shown itself to have the capacity to move forward. They can overcome the gaps and close those gaps that have opened up because of a, of a, of a failing agency government. Um, and, and, and we can set the, you know, the country back on, on the road to recovery. And it's phenomenal potential. We're sitting, and that's the reason why we're investing all of this capital. Part of that shrinking uh, margin that you referred to, or free cash flow margin that you referred to, was because of an acceleration in the amount of capital that we're spending. So the confidence that we have is based not just in our own ability to fix this or be part of the, the, the solution, but it's also because of the quality of this ball body. It's simply too good an ball body to turn your back on. It would be, it would be disgraceful if we allowed all of this value to remain unexploited for the benefit of our own stakeholders and also for the, for the broader economy. And that's why we'll keep on investing in this. Sorry, which which ore body are you referring to there? Our, 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 our reserve base. So the so the the, 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 the stockpiles. You know, the other stockpiles that we have. So we refer to it as some ore body. You know, we, we protect right. the real miners. And not meant of this, but uh, so the six million ounces that we had at our disposal, which we can treat, we continue to invest in its optimization. And we will continue to do that until ultimately it becomes truly unbearable. And truly unbearable will mean when it becomes too unsafe, not because of anything other than becoming too unsafe. And that's where we're hoping government will step in, maybe just deal with some of the, the, the violent crime trends that we're seeing in South Africa. So looking forward to, for the rest of this year, so you've got uh, le- effectively nine months for the remainder of this year. Yes, you want to, to uh, get those licenses in place and so you can start on the, on the two n- new um, uh, reclamation sites. Um, but could you just talk me through kind of what the rest of the year looks like in terms of kind of goals deliverable that you'd like to kind of um, be measured against by the market? Yes, um, but the uh, financial year, is uh, it ends at the, the end of June, so it's it's above off calendar financial year end, and uh, we we had up until now we haven't had cause to to change our guidance. So so although gold production is slightly lower or tonnage throughput is slower, what you also do find with these depleting sites because it is these are the lower levels is that grades are typically higher. So recoveries have actually been really good, and that partially offset some of that. We do have our costs firmly under control, and uh, we, 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 we're not seeing any cause at this stage to change uh, our, our guidance that, that's out in the market. And, and then, of course, as I said earlier, you know, hope to fill in the new financial year, pick up on, on some of those volumes again, and then maybe next year start testing the, 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 the higher range of, of the guidance that we issued. But we sort of mid-range in terms of guidance. Uh, Rem- remind the, remind the listener in terms of um, ounces, please. I think it's about 170,000 ounces uh, that we gave in terms of, of guidance. And uh, yeah, as I say, we own that cause to to uh, adjust our guidance. You, you would have seen recently when we, when we released our uh, market uptake for the quarter that we didn't see occasion for uh, 
uh, for you, man. An adjustment to that, not for the quarter, for the half year, rather. Our, our results for the half year, we did not see cause to adjust our guidance sort of mid-range of guidance. Good. Well, um, th- thank you very much. Uh, I look forward to uh, hearing those numbers when they when they do come out and good luck with getting those those um, those licenses in a, in a couple of weeks. I mean, it's a, it's only 10 days away, the 14th of April. Well, we hope so. We hope they land. And once they do, I'm going to be there personally to if there's the green button to <laughs> so we can start. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, brother.